Hi, I'm Steve Gaynor, and this is Tone Control, Conversations with Video Games. No, with video games, Hi, Jake Rodkin! I'm happy to be here! <laughs> Hi, I'm Steve Gaynor, and this is Tone Control, Conversations with Game Developers. Uh, I'm joined today by my friends Jake Rodkin and Sean Vanneman. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey, Steve. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's good. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Jake and Sean uh, worked at Telltale for a long time, uh, most notably on Walking Dead and other titles uh, from Telltale before that. We can talk about them. Yeah, and you're gonna. We're gonna converse about them, in fact. Oh, with game developers. This is going to be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've just fairly recently uh, left to start your own thing. So Yeah. We have a new studio called Campo Santo. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Oh, thanks, Steve. Yeah. It's very exciting mm. for me, yeah. personally, for you guys to start your own video game studio. It's purely exciting for you, and it's a mixture of excitement and terror for us. <laughs> terror great. is different than horror, by the way. Really? Yeah. Can you define the difference between these two concepts? No. Ollie told me that terror was different than horror, and I wrote it down, and I don't remember why he said it was. Oh, I think that's probably true. Yeah, he's you, British. You wouldn't call a horror movie a, a terror, terror movie? <laughs> In a, our dystopian future, we might. Let's wait and see whether that <laughs> happens or not. Let's wait for that one to catch on. Um, so yeah, on Tone Control, we are going to be talking to people about... Um, how they got to where they are in the games industry and talk about uh, how they achieved what they did with the games that they've worked on. Like, you guys worked on Walking Dead, and obviously it was a really huge hit uh, critically and commercially and Goaty Lee. Uh, Goaty Lee. All, all the awards were yours. Um, but you guys. That was uh, the subtitle of. <laughs> oh. Of the Scarface game, sorry. <laughs> Scarface, the awards are yours. Yes. All the awards are yours. Jake Rodkin. Yeah, it supposes that instead of getting shot to death, he won goaties. <laughs> Ironically, he, yes. He, he died face down in a pile of goaties. <laughs> Which is also your future, I'm sorry. <laughs> that is not. Sunset Boulevard style. Oh we see God. you just face down, blood spreading out over a pile of goatee awards. And Jake slowly walking downstairs. <laughs> photographers surrounding you but you guys worked at i mean jake you especially worked at telltale for a long time before walking dead yeah. existed um so how did you first start working at telltale um was that straight out of college was that like the first no thing? No, no no um i my trip to telltale started off by being a dork on the internet because i as did all of ours as, yes that's true uh i wrote uh, like in high school and in college, I did a bunch of sort of fan site type stuff, like making websites that were about old LucasArts adventure games. Mm. And I wrote for a little while uh, at adventuregamers.com. And I think right when the guys who started Telltale, Dan and Kevin, uh, when they were starting it up, they reached out to a lot of people online who were still interested in adventure games, which were basically deleted in like the early 2000s. Uh, so. I think in E3 04 or 05, I hung out with those guys to talk about what I as a dork thought was uh, still interesting about that genre. And, like, oh, because they, so Telltale at that time, they were just starting up and they were being formed to make like classic point and click adventure yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were, they were doing the Sam and Max sequel at LucasArts, which then got erased and I think in the, that company canceled that game, game, laid off the team, and then I think 
Lucas Severance Pay started them up. So they were talking right. they were talking to us. Um, a couple years later, I hit them back up for work when I heard that they had been around long enough that they might need a web designer. Mm. Um, right, because you did a lot of like web stuff yeah, uh, for, my, for a while before that. Yeah, my my career in the games industry, which is it doesn't it still Don't seems worry, stupid to say that. No, I guess I do. It. I know it started off as doing web design for Telltale as their community manager. It started off rather doing community management and forum moderation, basically, which mm-hmm. then moved into doing web design. And then I, uh, when they did the first Sam and Max game, they were going to contract out the UI, or they had previously contracted that stuff out, but then I asked if I could do that. And then by being a UI designer, I was then able to ask if I could start going to game design meetings because it makes sense for the UI designer to be there, but also I really wanted to be in game design. Right. And then from there, I sort of moved up into the larger, like, holistic season story and game design stuff, and eventually... I was on enough teams doing that that they let me uh, actually be on the ground floor of a few games, and yeah, was um, was going into UI design like a big technical jump? Like when you were doing web design, were you actually like doing the coding for the pages and all that kind of stuff, or was it mostly graphic design? Stuff? I was doing the coding for them, but it was really old, crappy coding. Like I'm really, really out of date on that stuff, right. and. Uh, Telltale's UI system is actually pretty visually focused. It, like it works really similarly to Maya and other 3D stuff. But mm. also, so wait, is the UI all on like 3D objects? Yes, yes. sweet. It is nuts. It has it has some really extreme positives and negatives compared to like scale form or other yeah. things like that. It's like planes that are attached to the mm-hmm. camera. Uh, it's actually it's just it's a separate camera. Right. And it's a separate, it just draws on top of right, stuff. Right, right. But, it's nice in that you can just throw 3D geometry and characters and just anything yeah. into the UI. But um, Well, it's weird because that's basically the same as the UI system that we used in Unity. It's just like you make a separate camera for each UI panel and then it's, yeah. it's just all planes there's, that have graphics yeah, on them. There's yeah, no, there's no abstraction in Unity. And, and uh, if you look like that... It's terrifying if you're used to having any sort of structured UI framework, like even web design compared to this, but yeah. also... If you're interested in doing so, it's really nice to be able to blur the line between the game and the UI, which, um, especially when we're doing, like, fixed camera adventure game stuff, sometimes that was really nice because we had, in those games, there's such specific control over the framing and composition that happens that it also means, like, when you're switching between modal scenes and stuff, you can do really heavily directed stuff. But um, it, it was a big tech jump for me, and I think partly that's because they forgot that I didn't know any of it. Like, um... (laughs) The first thing I did was Sam and Max, and our technical director did all the setup for that, but then the next big UI I did was on Telltale's uh, Homestar Runner game, and I think the producer just didn't know how the process on the previous one worked, so he said, Jake, you're doing all the UI for this. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to export a mesh into the engine, but I guess I, I, I just figured it out. Um, I mean, did you, I mean, I assume you just asked somebody. I asked a million people a million questions Good. forever. That was sort of, that's, that's what you gotta do. <laughs> Ask, yeah, be, being able to work in a studio that is at a size where you can look around and see every single human being who works there and also have the trust that they're doing excellent work at a level exponentially higher than yours is really actually pretty fun because then you can just go bother them all the time and learn yep. a bunch of stuff. Um, like I did a little bit of like uh, Quake 3 modding in college, so I knew at least like what a UV... Coordinate was. was. Yeah. I knew what the, how texture wrapping worked and yeah. stuff. Yeah. But that was, and yeah, I played with 3D Studio at some point in my life. But other than that, I hadn't really done any of that stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So then, how long was it before you 
came to Telltale, Sean? Like, what was your first... My what, first... what year did you appear at Telltale? That's a good question. I think my, I appeared in 2008 okay. or nine. So Whatever were, Wallace and Gromit was. So you worked there for like a Jake for like a few years before Sean. Yeah, I showed up in 2006. Sean showed okay. up like two and a half years later. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what was the first title that you guys worked on together? The Wallace and Gromit stuff? No, no I we came both, in. We, we both worked on that game. But we not, both worked on it, but I came in as like a mid, in the middle of this, like right as the first episode was getting codified, and they needed somebody for the third episode, so they just gave that to me. And so then, where did where where did you? Where did you work, and like, what was your story leading up to working at Telltale? How did you end up working there? Um, I went to USC, and I went to film school, and uh, majored in like writing as well, English lit as well. And then while I was at SC, I paid my way through school as an intern, and then like an assistant producer at Disney hmm. in their interactive group. And at that time, they were trying to. It was crazy. They were trying to be a like core game studio. They were like, we're going to be next to EA. So like, yeah. they had a big like logo rebrand. They were Buena Vista Games, and they like signed that Turok game. And, yeah, I was going to say, Turok. Yeah. Is that the only core game that ended up getting pushed? Um, actually, they did a game with Monolith called Tron 2.0. Oh, okay. It was yeah. actually good. Um, that game got like low 80s Metacritic sort yeah. of thing, and it was a, like PC gamers actually really liked it. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it was I mean, actually cool. Was, it was a pretty good game, but that was a yeah. long time before Turok. It was like three and a half years before Turok. So yeah, I was there just as Tron Two Point Oh was coming out. I see. Um, and at that job, I just did, I did a make believe thing, which is called creative development, and a lot of big make believe as in not a real job, or uh, I don't think it's a real job, but I mean it was at the time, I guess. <laughs> uh, I mean, in retrospect, I don't, and I only say that in because you have a very small chance of actually getting, making a thing that somebody's going to experience outside of the company. Sure. So, I mean, it's just, it's essentially an R&D job where you're developing um, game prototypes and intellectual property that the company can then mine to make a thing. Okay. So I did that for a long time. That's uh, was one of the first things I worked on was the Mickey project there. I guess it became Epic Mickey. Hmm. Um and then worked as a design. I mean, ostensibly a designer. Pitched. Remember, like what would happen, right? Is as a producer in the creative development group, there was sort of this slate of the next like five years, and they would say, okay, in 2011, we want to do a boys racing game for the Wii and whatever that targets a Pokemon audience and also a Burnout audience or something like mm. that. So it's like. What could we do that would be IP driven? That would get other like lines of business involved. So you, it's like okay, you start thinking. Okay, there's so you're toys, like coming up with gonna... pitches and stuff. Yeah, for yeah, that, yeah, like to fulfill those requirements. Right. Okay. So I was doing that, which is great. Um, it was actually. It, it, it sounds sound really like fun, job. right? Well, you get a budget, and you're just like, okay, I'm gonna. You know, I'm a big fan of this. I remember, like, I was I read Penny Arcade or something one day, and this guy Ben Caldwell had done the art for it, and I was like, I really like this guy's stuff. I just emailed him that day and said, hey, you want to do this thing with me? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we developed this property together. Uh, and then I spent nine months in China working on a developer that Disney was buying. Mm. Um, Weird. Finally taking a thing that we were pitching around in the prototype China? phase in Shanghai. Wow. So I uh, worked a developer over there. And that's when I realized that I really just like design. Yeah. Um, well, how did you like living in, in Shanghai? 
it was weird. It was it happened at the right time in my life. I was yeah. like in between relationships and kind of kind of a crazy like mental place. Yeah. <laughs> and I was twenty three. So, so being in a in a in a yeah, country where you didn't speak the language that was as it was actually as really is what I needed. Yeah, it was sure. very like it was like I mean I've only visited Shanghai it, once and it was weird. Just it's I intense. was there for like four days and it was like yep, horrifying. Yeah. Like well I mean just like just just like uh the it's so you have you ever been there too? Nope. It is, it is, there are buildings that are twice as big as, like, any building in New York. Right. Except the density is one-tenth. So you're standing in the city, and you just see these gigantic looming structures right. that have miles between them. It's up so, like New York, but out like L.A. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's really And weird. so, unlike New York, where you stand in a canyon, and all you can see is the, you know, tall buildings are on either side of you, you can see 360 degrees, giant, looming, horrifying spires. Just right. You can it, see them just sort of like through the fog and through yeah, the smog. Well, and there's so much like, smog almost like cutouts that they go up and then just disappear into smog. Well, you have a feeling like in New York, sort of like a, like a like a box over your head, like a, like it's like an animal with right. a bag over its head, where you don't really realize what you're a part of. Yeah. Because you're always in those like those corridors. Yeah. But you don't. The bag comes off in Shanghai, and you want to. Poo yourself. Well, and it's they they intentionally designed a bunch of the buildings seemingly just to be scary looking. <laughs> yeah, just to look like a Bond villain is there. Good. Yeah, or I like, like it. I mean, I had a good time though. I met some really interesting people. It's like a crazy crossroads, like an international crossroads of folks from a lot of places where you just don't meet people. Yeah. Well, it was you know, really like, weird. I was there for like three days, four days for GDC China last year, and. We were near this convention or this hotel where they were having it, convention center, and there was a mall nearby. And so we walked into it, and I was walking into the mall, and walking out of the mall at the same time was just a guy I worked with at Two Camer Inn. And I was like, "Oh, hey, how's it going? Are you here for GDC China?" And he's like, "No, I just they, they're having me visit Two K Shanghai to see what their tech's up to." Like, all right, <laughs> there's a billion people in this country, and we just walk past each other. Hi, <laughs> it's a strange world sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like uh, so, so you enjoyed your time in Shanghai, but you didn't want to be an expat and live there for. No, no, that was kind of on the table, and I didn't want to do that. And then the project I was on that I'd been on for like a year and a half was just sort of canceled very, like cavalierly. Mm. And, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this forever if I don't go actually ship something. Yeah. So the short list I had was really short. <laughs> I mean, it was. Uh, Telltale was on it because I knew I would ship games and I would it would fit my skill set. You'd ship a game every six months. At that stage, I was like looking at, um, I was I went through a big interview process at Insomniac, um, didn't get a job, and I was like absolutely devastated. But now, like retrospect, I'm like, oh, that wouldn't have been a good fit for me. Hmm. Um, uh, did the EA interview Gauntlet, and then Telltale just moved quicker. Yeah. So. Moved to San Francisco and well, a lot shipped a game in like those, seven months. Right, yeah. like it's attractive for being yeah, like yeah. Independent I was in the somewhere in like the early, low forties. Yeah, number of hire. So it was pretty small. We were on one little floor. Um, I showed up. Jake had been at like the like the we're just getting started office. Right, I like, was in office two. Tell yeah. now on office four. I think. Yeah. I think that I, I visited office two because I playtested yeah, Sam went to and Max his... episode one. Yeah. Yeah. But, but um yeah they so, they, yeah. they keep getting bigger and they they, they subsequently offices. move like they're like yeah, exponentially further shows. from the sewage treatment plant that was across the street from the first <laughs> office when it was like six guys well 
yeah, it's a plus yeah, upgrade. Yeah. But it's beautiful. I mean, I remember getting up there. I remember thinking I was moving to anymore. You can't. Like, fantastic. You could at the old place on weird wind days if the wind came a certain way. <laughs> but it was beautiful. It was like on the water. Um, Classic I remember, video game office story. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and the teams are really small, especially on my episode of Waltz and Gromit. It was like, but the shipping team, the guys who were on it at the, at the very end was like single digits. Yeah. Like four, five, six people. So Telltale has only ever done licensed things right kind of i mean jake and i were part of the we were part of like the three or four guys or four or five guys who did the puzzle agent series oh right puzzle yeah. agent is, is original i was graham annabelle's yeah, yeah puzzle agent it kind of like it kind of splits the difference because graham annabelle already had sort of that tonal world of characters and stuff right. but the but he was a he was a telltale employee he was originally the art director right? yeah, Telltale's yeah, original yeah. sort of like art director creative director guy yeah. and then he left to go make uh future films like a yeah, he's portland. here he's here in portland yep like a yeah um. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. That. That came from somebody internal, and it wasn't a pre-existing IP that was licensed, and so on. And so that was on. awesome because yeah. that was Graham had the just the concept for the idea of a puzzle agent, um, and who works at the actual FBI. So immediately we really liked it because it was set in in a ostensibly real world, even though it's not. Uh, and it was like we pitched it was the, the tiniest bit, like yeah. kind of Twin Peaks ish, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. like eccentric FBI agent, right. in Weird situations, kind of thing. Yeah. And then Dave Grossman wrote a story about this guy Nelson Tethers. I think Dave Grossman came up with the name Nelson Tethers. Yeah. And then uh, Jake and I liked it a lot, and we said we want to work on this, and worked. It was us and Mark Darren worked on the story. Yeah. Always this game. We took the story kind of. And then brought Mark Darren. I don't know. Yeah, I guess all of us did. Yeah, you, me, Mark Darren, we all worked on the story together. And then we got taken off of it to do something else, which was kind of a bu- that was the first time where I'd been moved on a project at Telltale, and I was super. I was actually kind of bummed because uh, it just felt like to talk about tone control. You know, like it was something that was like super, super inherent to Graham's work, and that was I was like really excited a specific to hold on to. Tone of- yeah, yeah, and. I don't think the game. I think the game is totally pretty cohesive, um, but I just is it just a game I wanted to be on all the way through the end. Yeah, sure. Um, well, the same sort of thing happened on Puzzle Agent Two, which we sort of uh, came like did all the story dev on, um, tried to push it down a certain path, and then ended up moving on to something else. And Chuck Jordan wrote that one, and uh, Tully Rafferty was a big part of that one, and Mark. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, so something that it seems like to me is, you know, Walking Dead, you guys were very much like a, a team on that. Like, you guys working right. very closely together was super important to those games. You were the story lead, Sean, and then you were like the design and co-story uh, lead, Jake. Do I have that right? Kind of. It, it, the way it ended up breaking down, what at the were end you credited of the day, as? We were actually just credited across the season as season story and design by, and then both of our names. But then Sean okay. has a writing credit. Uh, I have a UI design credit, and then neither of us. I think we're both listed along with the other game designers. But that's sure. a, that's a yeah design credit. And then I think but, there but was you were some direction credits too. Yeah, yeah you were you were co leads, co directors of the the season. But even like mechanics design for the game, the basics, even of how the UI would be presented end of the story all actually kind of came out in a really weird organic way on Walking Dead where we yeah. were just like which is super important. if you flip through uh, the huge butcher paper sheets for this game every single page is basically like 
breakdowns of how dialogue interaction would work at the same time as there's overworld like map ideas and character relationship graphs like just all like there was never really do you actually have those physical or does Telltale I guess have those those exist still yes yeah because yeah I've thought I mean this is this is a little bit uh, they're fun they were fun to go back through at the very beginning well because the the entirety of Gone Home is in two sketchbooks and it's it's the same thing where it's like there's a layout of part of the house and then notes about how am I figuring out dad's story and then, you know, something about where to place this thing. You know, like, it it did all kind of... Yeah, we... It, you, you keep, I guess, kind of uh, oscillating between different aspects of it and it, it develops all alongside everything Yeah, else, that, right? that's really the only way to work, I think. It's to, to you know... Well, at least even that's what we're working on the project we're working on now is the same... It feels back, like, on the first days of Walking Dead where it said, like, well, this is how you're going to interact with a thing. Because, you know, you'll start with, okay, you're going to go down, you're going to go down the hill, and you're going to pick up an object X. Okay, how do you get there? Yeah. And then when you pick it up, what exactly happens? And then you start talking about interactions design that's, like, not tied to any specific object, right? Just in general. Because then it starts speaking back to stuff that's earlier. Right. It's like you figure out a general solution based on this one specific case, and then you say, oh, and now we can apply that solution to other stuff. Right, right, right. And so on, yeah. And just, you know, you just keep your, your gut check open to whether the solution you're having for this specific thing is universally cohesive with your design. Right. You know, with, like, the core mechanic loop. Yeah. You know, and I think um, that's that was, like, the cursor system in Walking Dead was pretty... Um, that was the byproduct of that, of that process. Yeah. You have working with... Um, obviously, like each other, but you know the CTO Kevin Bruner and everybody just sort of say when you have that many people on a game, right? Like everybody's sort of like trying to make it feel better, trying to say, oh, trying to get what they want out of the mechanic design. But you have to be able to like box it in, otherwise it just sort of spills into. I mean, it's sort of like why the proliferation of QTEs exist, yeah. where it's just sort of like, oh, well, it's a bespoke mechanic for everything, so we never have to box ourselves in mechanically, which yeah. I think is kind of bullshit. It's like, oh, we'll put this scene in, we'll figure out how to make it interactive, oh, I guess you just press a button while right. the movie is while playing. you're scrubbing through yeah. the thing, yeah. So, so, the thing I wanted to ask was, um, yeah, you guys, by the time you were working on Walking Dead, you were like a... Fairly, you know, like a close knit team, right? Like it was you two guys yeah. that were kind of guiding the project. So, how did you get from the point of Jake had been working at Telltale for two and a half years, and Sean got hired to being in a position where you were like co-leading The Walking Dead when that project came in? What was uh, that process? I would like? say Monkey Island episode three, probably. That yeah, was the beginning. Of I that. actually felt. I mean, it was the beginning of Jake and I's. Like, the relationship where I knew that I liked making games with him. Yeah. Like, that is the beginning of that internal realization. But I don't think that internal realization manifested itself outwardly in the company yet. It was just sort of like, oh, I like this guy. We have a lot of the same taste. And um, he's, like, no bullshit type of guy. Like, the first time we really interacted with each other was Jake just telling me something was stupid. Um, Anyway, right. Um, But uh, What was it? Um, there was some okay so in Monkey Island episode 3 there's this storyline of being it swallowed by a giant manatee and then the manatee gets lost and you sort of help guide it to a place and then in the shipping game you end up uh, communicating with its inmate for it um, by learning to speak manatee 
um, and it became adventure games. But it Sounds became like it became games. sort of like a, a a clever throwback. And this is this is all I think Joe Penny came up with this, but um, it became sort of a clever throwback of of insult sword fighting. Where mm. it's like I need to learn these phrases so I can respond to other phrases, um, which I liked. But at one point there was an idea that you had to just make your manatee attractive <laughs> by like. I don't yeah, know, doing a bunch of superficial shit. Yeah. And Jake was like, you're going to put fucking lipstick on a fucking manatee in the fucking video game? Are you out of your fucking minds? <laughs> I was like, oh, hi. How nice to meet you. Um, what, didn't you play Day of the Tentacle? Yeah. I dressed up a mummy. Yeah. Day of the Tentacle and Monkey Island are very different tonally. Mm-hmm. Would not, that puzzle would not go in that storyline, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's, I felt- it's true that Day of the Tentacle is wackier and more abstract overall. Yeah, I think, yeah. right. I, I was... I was I've got schooled. Yeah. I got well, paid. I mean, yeah. What, what was your What was your metric for that? Was it just a totally subjective thing? It was or? kind of It was kind of a gut thing, but I also just think there's like it's tough with a series like that. Actually, it's we could probably diverge for 300 years talking about making a license to game when you are not the person who created that license. But I think uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's everything that I've ever worked on yeah. except for Gone Home like I've only worked on sequels and expansion packs before that so like grokking the tone in a very subjective way yeah, is, it, yeah. it just for, for me the Monkey Island series is one where there's a bunch of really wacky stuff that happens but usually uh, in the specifics of that license I think if something is going to happen where you really like fuck with another character in the world it's either or like, just it's it's generally incredibly it's, dark because you steal a little kid's monocle right, like, so he's blind. Well, that's <laughs> all instance. Monkey Island. Right? It's, yeah. Monkey, Monkey Island is like you get a guy fired by like fucking up right. his soup. You, usually, <laughs> I think it's a game where the, the the big events are generally actually serious on paper. Like your objective is usually not a goofy one. Um, yeah, but the the times when something like a dress up thing would happen, it's either because you're fucking with someone, or you as the player avatar is being humiliated. And this was neither one of those, so it just felt like wackiness for wackiness's sake. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a series where a sitcom premise like that would show up. I don't think. Okay. Whereas in Day of the Tentacle, it's entirely that because it's just cartoon, like weird high concept cartoon moment one after the other. Whereas in Monkey Island, it's more it, it it's more I think it plays by the rules of adventure films and like. Monkey Island, as a game series, I think slots more closely actually in with Star Wars and Indiana Jones than with any other sort of influence, except that it's the funny one. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have thought about Monkey Island a lot more than I have because it was your job <laughs> for some amount of time. I thought about it way too much way before yeah. it was also, my job. Which also, is, you were Jake Rockton. God. But that's the thing, right? Is I mean, you find yourself as a grown man sitting in a conference room arguing with another grown man about a like Dadaist scenario dealing with manatees and cheese doodles and you're arguing about why it works one way and doesn't work another way and then you go home and you feel crazy (laughs) monkey island was a hard game to work on monkey island was actually monkey island was hard in a very different way than the walking dead was but monkey island was tough because monkey island as a series and especially the second game was the reason that i am at all involved in the video game industry like i played that game and it i i I had an Atari 7800, I had a Nintendo, and then my family had a computer, and a friend of mine, like, I'd been playing Mario Brothers and, like, Pac-Man Pole Position, whatever. Pac-Man Pole Position? Sounds like a good one. (laughs) Many Atari cartridges, but then a friend of mine gave me a series, like, just a bunch of copied floppy disks, which contained Monkey Island 2, and 
I played it, and it was the revealer to me that video games could be basically infinite in what they're capable of being, because it's not just drag a man around and collide with things to get points or to beat an objective. I had a weirdly similar formative experience, which was I I had a Commodore 64, and my dad had a computer, and I had a Nintendo, and then I I had a subscription to Nintendo Power, and Maniac Mansion was in Nintendo Power, so I got Maniac Mansion on NES, and I played it, and my next-door neighbor, who was like my enabler for all my nerdy shit, played it with me, and then literally he was like, well, if you like that that Maniac Mansion, my dad's computer has a bunch of other games like that on it, and he introduced me to, like, Quest for Glory and Space Quest and Sierra Point and Click Adventures on a computer, and very similarly, I was like, whoa, they talk, (laughs) you know, and the graphics are way better, and then through that, I had, like, kind of exhausted Sierra Adventures, and I think from PC Gamer Magazine, kind of got the idea of, like, oh, LucasArts also makes these, like, the people who made Maniac Mansion made... A Monkey Island, and then Full Throttle came out, and so on and so forth. And yeah, it was like a that bridge was right. really important. But yeah, like I, I played those games, and sort of I ended up getting involved in internet culture at all because I think this is maybe not true for for some people, but like at, just at least my age, it was sort of I got dial-up internet, I got a web browser, and then what is the first thing that you type into the first search engine that you find? Pornography. Pornography. The second thing that you type in <laughs> is, for me, it was just Monkey Island, because I liked it a lot. Like, I wondered, I is there a third one? Is the, is any of this... And then I found a bunch of dorks on the internet who liked the same one thing that only me and my two friends at school liked. It's like Andrew yep. Langley. And yeah, <laughs> I've met some people who ended up working at Telltale with, but... Yeah, I loved like, Sam and Max, then I got AOL dial-up, then I typed in Sam and Max, then I discovered Sam and Max ate my balls. Yep, basically, <laughs> that's, that is the order of operations. Somehow balls are involved in any any situation with the internet. But uh, then when I was told Telltale was making a Monkey Island game, like years and years later, I think it was a, I was at dinner at PAX with a bunch of people there, and they said, I think we're going to sign Monkey Island. I went, wow, awesome. No, we cannot. Uh, but it was... It was weird because I was working with people who had worked on various Monkey Island sequels at all, like, within Telltale at the time, I think we had Dave Grossman, who had worked on Monkey Island 1 and 2, Chuck Jordan, who had worked on Monkey Island 3, and Mike Stimley, who had worked on Monkey Island 4, all in the same room talking about Monkey Island 5, and I was coming in as a huge dork mega fan of this series with everyone who had made huge tangible contributions to that entire, like thing over and I had all yeah I had but they're all totally different contributions too tonally I think right and and totally different games and I I as a dork had my own baggage about specific things that I liked and disliked as just a fan before I was working in games and then I'd worked with all of these guys on projects that were not that yeah thinking to myself but I'm never gonna work on that oh god now I'm I'm in the story room for this game (laughs) forever um but just that was a I don't even know how to continue to talk about it in any extreme amount of detail, but the... So it, then so then you guys ended up working... You're, you're saying you guys ended up working together on that... Yes. ...closely after you told Sean that he was bad at his job. It's because Sean wrote the third episode of it on which I was the director, and uh, we okay. ended up... Uh, the designer of that game, or that episode, Joe, was actually gone for most of production, so Sean and I were the two leads on that project. Mm. But... Uh, after that, I think it seemed like that was the first time I had fun 
at writing at Telltale. Yeah. That was the time where, like, I just really... I would write another Monkey Island game in a second. Um, I really like doing it. Yeah. I really, really, really like it. Um, it seems like we ended up on other stuff almost in the style of weird old Hollywood studio system stuff, though. Like, I feel like our names just ended up coming up around the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, two things happened um, that I think helped propel stuff forward was... We didn't have another project signed, so we needed. There was a prototype project that came up, and we were just around. And we got lucky at a lunch where we pitched a thing. Just what if a game was like this instead of the way we've been doing it? That uh, Dan and Kevin really responded to. So then we were allowed to build it, but that instantly moves you from just one of the designers at the studio to an inner circle of like change act like change agent yeah. you know where you can start to like pitch new things you can get things done and when once you're in that once you've earned that trust at a studio you can start do making some real shit happen yeah so you know? did so did you pitch this this idea that you're talking about now is that what turned into the walking dead or was um, the walking dead known of. of before that was it like no walking dead was like not even on the radar. That was actually this was the the thing you're talking about was like two years before the walking dead yeah probably. yeah this was just the idea this was so that was after monkey island yeah it was after monkey island it and you guys were like kind of we in... have this idea for this other thing i think it's that a license with a what was at the time an incredibly like major potential creative partner showed up and then they said what are some ways we could tackle this mm. and the pitch that we made them was one of a lot of things that were circling around but I think they really liked that so we ended up right. building team, it like uh, prototyping what was going to be this next huge thing that fell through and then sort of got locked away in the freezer for a couple of years well we ended up like through that I think we were really like oh man we really like working together on stuff so we ended okay. up like was that a similar situation where it was like you were primarily story and writing scenario kind of guy all both working on to design together no yeah. there was like there was the no story st- was like was ludicrous okay. the story was it was like a couple there was gets no trapped I- in a museum or in a zoo or something I don't yeah know, it was remember. like the, it was IP list at that stage okay. it was all systems so designed. you guys were really just designing we were just talking about like what, what would be cool yeah. inside of a story space that could be built sort of using the tech we know Telltale yeah. is good at that would be different than a point and click adventure game but still yeah, people would still understand yeah. in their brain that it came from the same people. Yeah, and that was the first time since it being at Disney where I'd worked on something that was straight systems design where it said, look, we're going to figure out what what's ha- what this system is driving later, but just a rearticulation of how events are going to happen or occur. Yeah, just an interactive the, framework, basically. Yeah. So, what did you guys work on after that mysterious project that went into a freezer forever? Um, I actually didn't get in the freezer forever because it ended up being the underpinning of a lot of the time-driven stuff in The Walking Dead. But uh, the project that I think was the one where we said, okay, uh, we could make something interesting and work in a small team and kind of start seeding the culture that would be how we kept working together was Poker Night at the Observatory. Oh, yeah. Because... I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's actually... One of the most interesting projects I've ever worked on because it you started off as made the, a poker game because <laughs> it started off as the stupidest thing I ever worked on, which was we want to do a sequel to Telltale Texas Hold'em, where we got some of these characters. We think we got we think we got the heavy from uh, from Team Fortress and uh, you know, 
and we went, what? What? Oh! Well, so for people that uh, understandably don't know what you're talking about, what is that? Poker Night at the Inventory. At the Inventory is a game that Telltale did uh, 2011, 10? 10? 10, I think. 10? You got 10? One of those years. 11? Uh, 10. It's a game with four characters from sort of geeky culture sitting around a table playing cards. So I think in that game it was the Heavy from Team Fortress 2, Strong Bad from Homestar Runner, Max from Sam and Max, and Tycho from Penny Arcade, and you, the... Me? Uh, no. I don't Ag- remember being Cap, the, ag- the ageless, faceless, genderless computer protagonist, or whatever that thing is. Uh, the Zork, whatever. Never mind. Don't worry about it. Um, I don't remember how to pronounce that acronym. It's fine. The game just refers to as the player, and yeah. it's, and it's the Telltale's first ever game was a game called Telltale Texas Hold'em, which was they when they were building up their tool set, they had four AI characters who were articulated and yeah. talked to you when you were playing poker. It so, was like Rockstar Table Tennis. Yes, it was, it was making something with the engine that they shipped to yeah. ship something with their engine. Yes, yeah, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. So this one, they wanted to do a more extreme version of that, and they thought having all these like a weird like celebrity panel show plus sort of poker banter like you know wouldn't it be cool if the heavy got mad and flipped over the table and brought out the gun from team fortress uh, you know like it it makes sense as a thing that you make if you have the opportunity to make it and do you want people on steam to give you five dollars right. i think like but we were when we first were pitched it we we're like oh my gosh how are we gonna do this do we want what are we doing like this is why uh, oh well the reason that we were also mess. a little bit bummed about it was because after that prototype that we had been working on was deleted we were then in pre-production on another game that was the next sort of big five episode telltale season and we worked on that for about six months and then it was deleted and then they said you're making a poker game starring uh four characters who play cards and we were like oh, oh this is very gosh. different than what i was <laughs> expecting to be doing right now Okay, but it became a project where we did two things that were really, really integral to the way we work together. Which is, we said, okay, we'll do like, and I mean, it's, you can't really say we won't do it, right? Because you're an employee. But at the same time, Telltale's pretty good about putting the right people on projects in that regard. So it's like, okay, we'll do it, but we want to make a world from scratch where this place exists. So we need to build a place, and it's going to have a story, and it's going to have its own like lore. It's going to have a reason for existing. So you were like, you're going to make a setting that has its own identity that's like a self-contained Just to like, yeah, thing. yeah, to to validate the existence of this product, right? Like, this yeah. product just can't exist as a nothing thing that doesn't exist on as, the earth. As, oh, they're in a room. What right. room? I don't know. Who cares? Right. They're playing it needs cards. To, it needs yeah. to be in a place. And also, you made it an unbroken first-person experience, much that's like not, Far Cry 2. That's right. not actually true. The camera cuts around in that thing eventually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah but we, we wanted... I mean, you know... <laughs> so the opening was actually... It's it's a cutscene where you, like, walk up to this door, you come in, you go down an elevator, you're, like, introduced to this Like host. the old PC Gamer demo disc. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you but guys we, remember this? I, I, I vaguely that, remember it this. was made with with macromedia like to, mist right and I remember like, being on a tropical island that was much later okay. so 1995 era you started in a weird alley and then you went into the back of the alley and you went down an elevator so we just ripped the, that off and the elevator ride was like literally like two or three minutes long and it went past all of these like layers of the earth and lava and skulls and stuff and then you ended up in a weird PC gamer office and you could look through their files to read old reviews maybe you, I was subconsciously was ripping that off but it was basically yeah we just wanted it to feel it was my like anyway. a, uh, like you as the player were being inducted into a weird secret elite group yeah 
Yeah. Like, like getting into a speakeasy but, or something. Yeah. Right, super, right, right. Yeah. That was originally going to be direct control first person before we turned into a cutscene. Yeah, we wanted... It, where you had to walk yourself out of the didn't, table. Yeah, we wanted the game to open oh, up and just it saying, still kills me to say it because it'd be so good. We thought it would be really Someday funny. Someday you guys will make a first person game. Well, whatever. <laughs> the idea of you downloading You've a tried game, enough like, times. That, that product was intended entirely for the Steam audience. And yeah. We thought it would be really funny if you are downloading this poker game and the first thing it says is use press W, w to move forward and, mouse, and yeah. use the mouse to look around and then you had to walk up to a door and press E and then an elevator would encapsulate you and drag you into the earth which was not what you'd expect. Instead yeah. it's a cutscene. It's still yeah. fine. It's yeah. still fine. But it also so that stuff aside um, we built a dialogue system using the brand new Telltale Dialogue Tool 2.0 they had one before and this was like the big retooling uh, like total reimagining reimagining of how we were going to author content we were the first game to use it and uh we built a dynamic dialogue system that would react to what was happening in the game and then remember where it was and go back to conversations and that allowed that was the thing that really like set the uh good founding stone for what we would do in the walking dead Hmm. um so was 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 uh telltale poker night at the inventory the thing you was the Walking Dead the thing you did immediately after that project? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's yes. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy that. Yeah, because Poker Night was the first thing that Sean and I worked on from first to last day as a yeah. team and shipped. And, and that was, yeah, that was from the, the creative team behind Poker Night at the Inventory comes Goatee 2012. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I think. It, yeah, we basically. But it's nice to have a space where nobody expects jack shit. Oh no, it's absolutely. So I mean, it's Minerva's Den to some extent. It's DLC. Yeah. So you're like, no pressure. I can do anything I want. It's it's good because Minerva's Den is really the poker night inventory. Of yeah, your career. Absolutely. <laughs> no, well, because I mean, the very first thing I worked on was the second expansion pack for Fear. Speaking of just nobody paying any attention, like it's actually it's really nice. So the, the my favorite thing about that kind of project, which is also yeah, kind of what Minerva was like, is like. It's not important enough for anybody to give you extra resources or extra time. So you know, no, this thing's shipping in six months. And if it if you if it's a piece of shit in six months, you're shipping a piece of shit. Right. And if you want to ship something good, you're figuring out how to ship something good in six months. And so yeah, like I'm sure that you guys are just like you've got a limited timeline, you've got the people you've got, and if you want this thing to be good, go for it. You know, but yeah. we're not gonna Our timeline like, was so limited that we could grab a handful of sticky notes and put each one up on the wall and they could each represent a date we had left. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, because I think a lot of projects fall into the hole of being, you know, too big to fail. Like, to, of, of being like, well, things aren't good enough yet, so we'll add another six months onto the end. You know? And yeah. that is its whole other own set of problems. You have to be so disciplined to do that. You basically have to say, we're going to add six more months, but we're not adding content yep it's like we we, we're giving us six we're giving ourselves six more months to finish exactly what we already have right but nobody on the planet has ever done that (laughs) yeah that is a that is a that's very hard to do it may be impossible that is a human being never happened well and if you were the person that could do that you wouldn't need the extra six months in the first place right uh so how long what was the timeline on poker night at the inventory you think that it, it had a, a little under 90 production, like 90 business days? 
I think it was 82 business days. Was what we there were like there. there was some weird vacation time and there there were weekends. There were, right. there was a bunch of other stuff, which makes it about four five months. It was four or five months from moment one. It was to about the, 25 business days per month. I'd say it was yeah. four months, four and a half months. Right? Sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was a little nuts, but yeah, that um, it's funny though because I think back right, and I'm like thinking about what we built and what we didn't build. It's easy to do it again, right? Because you can be like, oh, yeah, like I could build that in four and a half months again because we already solved all the problems. Yep. But there were basic things like interrupting a character and then like basically bookmarking it and saying, like, I'm going to finish, <laughs> but we got to finish out this poker hand and then I'm going to come back to what you're saying. That was just a concept that was, that was an, we were unable to produce that in any way given the tool set we had at that moment. So we had to invent a yep. way to do that. Um, and that was a very big challenge. And the basic, like, this micro feature, they're not even features, those presentational elements of the game were very, very core. I mean, they're features to, to you, they're not features to the right. player. Right, but like, every character in that game has a pose where they're in the hand, up at the table, leaning forward, and then out of the hand, and can deliver any line from either of those poses and act and make eye contact with other players. Other players might not be there. Um, and that was all stuff that we'd never done before. It well, sounds a lot more dynamic than what you guys had had to deal with in prior projects. We'd never been in a project where... Variables that could just was, jump up right. at any yeah. moment. And um, it was actually really good prep for Walking Dead, though. Right. From right. a technical standpoint. That's cool. I yeah. wish Elon Ruskin's... Uh, he's an engineer at Valve. His, like, 2012 GDC... Or maybe it was 13. Yeah, it's it was either 11 or 12 GDC talk on dynamic dialogue existed in 2010 or 9 when we tried to do this because I, I've actually been watching it a lot lately because um, he's really smart. And uh, we just had no concept of how to do any of that stuff yet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think we were in a review of Poker Night and then Telltale's VP of Business Development said, oh, check this out. And he like just flashed you his phone or something yeah he was sitting next to me and it was the email saying walking dead is signed he was one in on this (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like uh yes yes why are we not um so yeah i had seen the comic sitting on his desk Mm. and sort of went in and put a sticky note on it and said yeah let's get this and do this well did you the tv show didn't exist yet it was a different did you know the walking dead comic yourself as a fan before i think we each read the first trade i read the first two trades yeah and i just knew it was the right sort of thing for but the it was it was also a situation where I don't think I think Telltale had signed it because I think Telltale actually signed The Walking Dead and Fables around the same time just because they were the comic books that were the most popular right. in like 2009. The numbers yeah. on Walking Dead, even just the comic, were great. But, but the show it wasn't it wasn't like a cultural like it, well, it, dynamo. It, it was a situation yeah. the show where premiered in 2011. Yeah, the show didn't even the, exist. The Walking Dead was a thing Telltale thought had potential. Like they, it, it was I think the first real like super current thing they had signed but at the same time as an indicator of what they like the importance that it had then relative to as it as the show picked up and as the hype picked up we were actually pulled we were the only people on walking dead for a while other no it was you me uh carl mukanoop the programmer uh and chuck jordan was there but even and kevin brunner yeah. and brunner but i think before we even rolled on more people than me and sean we were actually pulled off of it and the whole project just sort of stopped 
for like three months because they wanted us to do the story development for Puzzle Agent 2. Or we begged them to do it, one of the two. Right. But, like, and then we sort of were like, oh, I guess we're going to go back to The Walking Dead now. It was really... Anyway, whatever. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, because, like, summer, that summer we sat, that really hot summer in the back room at Telltale. It was, it, it, whatever, like, yeah. 2009... That guy, our, our VP, was like, January, we're going to talk to Robert Kirkman. And then January, February, <laughs> like, okay, let's just go make Puzzle Legend 2 real quick. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Well, something that's interesting, now that I think of it, is that... Because, uh, so, I, I, you know, the thing I was thinking is, Walking Dead is super different, tonally, and just from a general... In a general sense, from the other stuff that... Um, that Telltale had licensed, and oh, then sure. I realized actually the first licensed game that they did was the Bone game, which is like an indie comic that right. had a cult following and everything. So actually, I guess in some ways it's and Cinemax. I mean, Cinemax is a game. Cinemax but, was really, but, but Telltale wasn't actually allowed to touch any game related stuff for it. But yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. It's a sequel right. to an old adventure. Game. Yeah, and so <laughs> but Telltale had was really. Firmly planted in the comic culture, like they had a booth at Comic Con every year. Yeah, those first years they were we went to Ape. Yeah, you know. Well, and you, Jake, uh, designed the reprint of the Sam and Max comics, like yeah. the actual book. And, yeah, you were. I, and you won Eisner, an Eisner for Eisner it. Nominated. Eisner nominated. We lost to the Hellboy compilation. Fine. I think that that was weird because I think that Mike Mignola and Steve Purcell were like college roommates. <laughs> really? So that's weird, but whatever. That's insane. Um, um, but uh, aside from that quasi history similarity of, of having licensed an indie comic before uh, it seems like The Walking Dead was like a really big departure from the subject matter uh, yeah of, I mean the studio had Telltale made the games. CSI games Jake and I hadn't really worked on them right. Right. So that was like CS- a very separate thing right it, it was like. yeah, yeah they were there was a word for hire thing you guys thing. Were yeah, doing. yeah yeah um, um, and even that it's not like that went heavy on gore or anything like yeah, the, like you guys you guys in Walking Dead did some camera positions. You put some cameras inside of severed limbs and shit, like to the just uh, just to the left of them. That's what I mean. Um, <laughs> in, we would, in, they, the, in the gap. There may be there may the be leg, foreground maybe. viscera from time to time. Um, but yeah. but so the it seems like it was a really different space to be working in. Mm-hmm. What kind of like research or what kind of approach did you guys take when you were kicking off? It was less research and stuff like that. Like, there's difference I mean, between I that and Monkey Island. The comics and stuff. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. You read the comics, but then you just did get you a talk gut to sense. Did you like? Did, um, did you bounce ideas off of him and like work with yeah, him on not it? Or... More like... less than you. I mean, so when you're marketing a game, you're like you're telling everybody how like, oh, we're working with Kirkman and we talk all the time um, because you want people to trust that it's gonna not be like the knockoff version, right? Um, but not a ton. We yeah. would pitch to him once in a while. We had two big meetings with Robert, I think. Uh, one was sort of the kickoff. Yeah, we had the kickoff. So just for people that aren't aware, sorry, Robert Kirkman is a creator of The Walking Dead right. comic yeah, series. Yeah, he's the writer of the comic series, and he owns yeah. the everything. Um, but I, the meetings that we had with him, he it, it wasn't a big collaboration, but it was, it was very reassuring and validating because we started off by saying, our first meeting, the big takeaway was, we don't want to retell the exact story of the books. But we think we can do something that is different than that. And he said, sounds good. Yeah. He's like, oh, don't do Rick. That'll be boring. And yeah. 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 Oh, God, it was so nice. And then the second big oh. talk that we had with him was... What if uh, it was just Lee and Clement? What if it was this storyline? And he said, that sounds good. Oh, we had a third one where we played the first 20 or 30 minutes of the first episode. And he said, oh, this is great. 
and that was it. And, and it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. The game was, bad was really bad. bad at the time. He was wrong. He yeah, was wrong. Yeah, right. I could sense it too. I could sense in the room they were like they didn't know how to say. We don't know what this is. We don't know what this is. And it was great. I mean, there's just a lot of things that went right. You know, like was that like the really early prototype version that was like wasn't a lot that early. From what you no, shipped or? no, no, no. It was a few months okay. out, but it was basically it was. It just wasn't polished. A, a very rough yeah. version of what the first episode was up through about when you chop your brother with the axe. Right. Um, that's a good amount. You know, it was nice. It was nice. I think it was, it was really in the middle third oh, of the okay. game. Anyway, sorry. No, I was saying it was nice working with Skybound because it was it's Robert Kirkman is his producing partner David Alpert and like another guy. Hey, this is a totally random. Sorry, I just oh, thought sorry. of this for no reason because I was thinking of the earlier part of the game. Did you ever get any confirmation from Naughty Dog as to whether they put Clementine's house? Into Last of Us as a joke. I, I, I asked a couple people on Twitter and never heard no, one way or the other if that was confirmed. Or not. No. I'm sure as hell looked like it. It yeah, was cute. I yeah, hope they did because that would be rad. Uh, it looked pretty. We don't know. Regardless anyway. of it, when I walked through it, I was happy. Yeah. So um, anyway, sorry. I oh. thought that was potentially really cool. Uh, no, no, no. Regardless, it's still really cool. Oh, I was going to say it was nice working with. Like, that's it. That was the only controlling interest right. of The Walking Dead. So. They didn't have a lot well, of experience where being you like, like, you guys can't do this. This right. is going to be bad. They well, were just sort of like, when, you, when they signed off oh. on, we're going to do a side story that is tangential to the the events that have been depicted in the comics. I assume that just gave you a lot of leeway. And yeah. it was mostly like, you need to keep this on tone and making sense within the universe, but not like, oh, you have to be really concerned about the timeline with this, that, and the other thing, and all these like right. nuts and bolts kind of stuff. We still, I mean, we had to be concerned with making sure that we avoided touching their timeline in any possible yeah. way. Yeah. And we wanted to put a character the comic book. Stuff, right? We wanted to put one character in from the comic book that we like just couldn't because of the way the story unfolded and where that character would have been on the earth. Sure. When we so, I, so. I don't know anything about Walking Dead except for the games. I've never read the comics. I watched one episode of the show. I got the impression from Twitter chatter that there's the lady who uh, ends up... You can kick her out of the the RV or not. Lily? Yeah. Yeah, that she's a character from that the sort comic. of fell into an odd gray area but yeah there's a couple characters from the comic across, there's also across the, the, the Asian guy with the there's Glenn yeah the, the guy with the baseball hat there's yeah. Herschel the guy who owns the farm those guys both show up in the first episode and they're sort of the we're gonna wish you well on your trip spinoff characters because right. you never see them in the story again yeah. and Lily we brought with us and then that got a little bit complicated because Lily ended up in a novelization uh, an official walking an official novelization that Kirkman's name is on and that story is actually different and we, uh, some wires get crossed somewhere mm. so then that it's it's now in canon ambiguous as to whether or not that's the same character she's basically not but I see nothing well there wasn't anything else that had to overlap directly or that's correct uh, yeah it was really just the state of the world like the, the timeline of this is when yeah, the outbreak we, happened like we tried to make the dates match up the seasons match up the yeah. actual sort of rules of stuff but then that's I think that's the least important stuff because yeah. I mean that's that's all the stuff that yeah I mean the the reason the reason that we did an original character in The Walking Dead and we've talked about this in a couple of interviews and stuff is not is not because we wanted to tell our own story so badly but it's because I don't think you can do a true a Walking Dead game that's actually true to the sort of emotional impact you have when reading the book as a player if you're telling the same story again because the whole like the reason that people read The Walking Dead, I think, is to be surprised by these crazy events that happen, and then to watch these characters end up in situations that hang sort of on the edge of the knife, one way or the other, and then they choose something, and because it's 
a drama, they always choose the one that makes you barf. But you, you know, like there's no, there's no good, there's no good way out of any situation in the story. Yeah, and there's well, obviously you know the cost of every decision if if you just are playing the same exact story that you've read. Right. Well, did you did you guys ever sit down and like in a very concrete way like write out a set of tenets, you know, or or something that was like these are the things that that guide how we approach The Walking Dead? Or was it more of like a, a gut was, feeling kind of uh, thing? There was, I mean, there was a couple... Those help, you know, like... We're not big, uh, like, like um, yeah, buzzword know. guys. We're I'm not, not like, sure. You know, like... Because some people really are that way. And you have to be with a big team, you know, where you're like, this is always like this. Or right, like, right. He is that. Yeah, there was, know, never, sure. was never like a Walking Dead internal tone Bible, I think. Okay. The, but there are like things that keep coming up, which is... A choice doesn't have to be, doesn't have to produce a statistical 50-50 response. Yeah. But it has to be specific and interesting enough to produce two very well thought out opinions that are in opposition to each other. None of us have ever got written down the project, though. I think the way that we ended up working on it, which is a way that we worked worked on a, a lot of stuff, is just... Making sure that there's the conversation's always going, making sure that just you're talking to everyone all the time and building consensus in the team through just making sure that you're bouncing the same concepts off people and planting the same ideas in people's brains. Um, I actually think it's good given the, the, this sounds maybe counterintuitive and maybe I'm full of shit, but I think that the fact that on The Walking Dead it was all handled very fluidly and verbally and was just built sort of team consensus through conversations is better than if we had actually tried to codify it in writing. Yeah. Because I think... It, it cheapens it or something. Yeah, It's, yeah. it's no, not I that mean, it cheapens it. It's that it gives... You have to be so precise with the language on that that if you... you it, it's better, I think, to rely on everyone having a nebulous but generally centered sense of what it's about rather than saying this is the Ten Commandments of right. The Walking Dead because the Ten Commandments... Or like it's like the Constitution everyone then basically becomes their own individual Supreme Court reinterpreting it, yeah. whereas it, 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 it's all about the spirit rather rather than the letter. Right. I mean, uh, it, was, it was the same kind of thing with Minerva's Den, where it's not like I ever, yeah, like, took pen and paper and said, here are the principles or whatever. But if somebody asked me, like, what, what, is, what makes, you know, Porter a Bioshock character? It's like, well, he's someone who is extraordinary and wants something impossible and tries to attain it through this, you know, pushed world of Rapture that has all of this additional, like, high technology and freedom and stuff. And the allegory is about how he can't attain the impossible thing, you know, but trying to has an effect on a person that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, which is, you know, with Andrew Ryan, Rapture was that for him. And then with Porter, it was, like, using Rapture's technology to try to attain this, like, personal thing that was a similar kind of doomed, you know, uh, attempt at, um, at at achieving this goal. So, like, but it's not like I would have sat down and said, here's the points that, no, that you should follow. It's in retrospect, why did you make the character like this to be in this universe? And here's the answer. So, like, for instance, what, how would you phrase, like, what made Lee a viable Walking Dead protagonist? What did we say verbatim in our GDC talk? Well, this, is, this, is, this is before answering that question. I think it's funny thinking about this, like thinking back to how 
we internalized and codified this stuff, it was very much... I don't think we ever actually tried to explain to ourselves why any of this stuff worked until we had to actually talk to people external to the company about it. Like, I'm thinking... Well, we had some things, though, right? We had, like, individual problems we were trying to solve by making just arbitrary choices for the character that didn't quite work. So, like... And I said this... I think we said this in GDC, but... Lee was originally... <laughs> um, originally... <laughs> um, he... Or the protagonist, I should say, was um, the brother of a little girl in the story. And you were, like, uh, effectively the parent of the relationship. You're in your, like, early 20s. And she was really young. You guys had a lot of, a lot of years. Effectively the same age as Clementine. Yeah. But there was just a pre-existing relationship there on the page when we wrote it. Like, we wrote a whole opening scene where it's day one for them and what that day one was like. I really like that scene a lot still. I think it'd be fun to play. But you had all this... They had a relationship and knowledge about each other and knowledge about their mom and dad that the player didn't have. And it just didn't feel like what... It didn't... When you start writing out those exposition, those scenes that deliver that exposition, it just didn't feel like The Walking Dead. It didn't feel right. And I think it, it, actually, it really alienated the player. I think it actually felt on paper like a Walking Dead character, but it didn't feel like one you'd want to play in a game. Right, like, right, right. Like that character and his sister mapped, I think we were sort of looking at the way that Rick in the comic and his son have a relationship. Maybe like that's a father-son thing, so maybe it would be interesting, right. an interesting sort of variant on that to have a brother-sister thing, but it didn't. It wasn't a video game. It's funny because, well, because those they knew each other so days. well before yeah. the yeah. player showed right. up. And then you have to exposit all of that. Whereas right. in what you shift, Lee and Clementine meet each other and they have to learn about each other at the same time the player is. Yeah, yeah and that was so that instantly put a pillar in, like put a stake in the ground for not who Lee was gonna be, but who the context for which we had to make this character. Because we knew we wanted the Clementine character. We knew we wanted Somebody who was younger, who was going to be impressed upon by your choices, because it felt like The Walking Dead. It tracked to Rick and Carl well. It felt it was just it just checked a lot of really good. I think boxes. we actually started with two scenarios that were not intended to be original that we or that were not intended to be integrated that we thought about like what are some of the big things that happened in The Walking Dead and like divisive leadership struggles was a big thing sort of caring for family was a thing sort of keeping your group together was a thing and Sean you showed up with you said I, there's, there's, I've got two ideas that I think would be really good one of which is you are an older brother who's caring for his little sister and maybe that's a whole story and then you said but the other thing I've got is maybe you're like a 17 year old kid who finds himself in a group that is completely dysfunctional and he's just stuck between these two these two really alpha characters who are fighting over everything oh, and yeah. you are playing just as this dumb kid who ends up having to become the person who tips the balance and over time like the protagonist kind of aged up because we uh, a lot of the, so much of the Walking Dead story was actually built out of trying to figure out how do we put the player in a, situ, in a situation that would let them experience a moment that feels very true to what would happen in the comic but how do we make them also feel like they're discovering the world for themselves how do we make them feel like they have agency how do we limit how do we create a character that limits the type of agency they have that keeps right. them really on track 
like, like he could have so much agency at one point that he just is like, you know what? These people are dumb. Yeah, like, I am hitting the motherfucking yeah, road. Clementine <laughs> was originally slapped into the game to keep you to be a reason that Lee doesn't just sell Clementine, it, yeah, Clementine was yeah, put yeah. in as an anchor kind of to yeah. keep you from like why can't I just say fuck you and run away yeah it's uh, because this little girl needs a community not just me as an individual yeah, right it would be a very different story yeah. and, like, it would be more like The Last of Us I guess Lee's sense. Lee's backstory was also uh, like on one hand it's interesting to be playing as a character with the past you can contextualize that's sort of the emotional player side mm-hmm. but then the pragmatic thing was He's a character who has things to hide from people you can't. Right. He's also a character who has a past that is intense enough and sort of socially negative enough that he's never going to be in a position where he can step up and just say, just I'm going to I'm gonna alpha male leader of this group because everyone other people have dirt on you right. because like just it's he's not Yeah. So well, and also he just when you create a character that is carrying that baggage around and has their own sort of like guilt struggle and sort of uh, ambiguous relationship with their themselves, then they feel less like an obvious candidate to be. But like all of that classic to, to just be like, I'm just going to step up and obviously yeah. just tell everybody. But, yeah, what to do. All it's not interesting there, though, yeah. just to to make sure that the player stays inside of the middle ground. So what they're doing, like they never. They're being pulled in different directions. They can directions, never ascend, right? but they Instead always of, have yeah. to be a person yeah. who manages the situation. Because Walking Dead isn't a, it's not a very interesting game if you just you're making all the choices for the group and they're all listening and to you. And they're all just saying, okay. Yeah. It's also not producible, right? Like, right. People are like, oh, we're going this way. And everybody says, oh, okay, we're going that way. Right. You know? Well, so, Sean, did you come up with... what Were, were you responsible for Lee's backstory? Because he has a backstory that the player doesn't know at the beginning, but discovers fairly quickly it's the reason he's in the police car at the beginning of everything uh yeah yeah, yeah. that was me so so can i i'm, can I'm gonna probably i'm gonna ask you some personal shit i'm gonna i'm gonna bust some scoops right here so okay, i so dig in so i think that i think that the best kind of writing especially for a protagonist comes from the writer's like uh greatest kind of personal anxieties mm-hmm. um and so I'm, I'll base this from my point of view. When I was writing Minerva, it's this character who is this guy that uh, his backstory is he worked at Bletchley Park on the first computers during World War II. He worked with Turing and everything, developing these, these mainframes. And so he moved with his wife to England, and he was down in this bunker working on this big project constantly, and he didn't see his wife for weeks. And then she died in the Blitz of London while he was working on this assignment that he had working on these computers and he regretted that he didn't get to say goodbye to her and and that he put her in this position and so on and so forth and you know i i came up with the story and then in retrospect i was like oh right because i just shipped bioshock 2 and i was crunching and i hardly saw my wife at all and a really easy anxiety to have is what if you were at work and you had hardly seen your wife for weeks and then she was in a car accident and you regretted that you spent your time on making a fucking video game mm-hmm. instead of... And so, the backstory of Lee is... <laughs> just, just jealous rage murder. Um, yeah. I mean, so, sorry. So, you, so, no, the backstory so the backstory of Lee, of Lee is that... Um, and he articulates it verbatim in the fifth episode if you go down a certain path and make him do it. Um, is that? And I think I did when I played yeah, episode five, which is the point where I was, where it became, where I was like, "Oh, Sean." <laughs> yeah, um, Lee is a 
a black guy married to a white woman um, and he is a professor at a university and she works in politics and um, this stuff isn't actually in the game but the events are and um, Lee kind of wants to have a family and sort of has settled into a really like quality life for himself but um, uh, is always sort of I think insecure about like socially insecure as um, a black guy being married to a white woman in Georgia I think that's just sort of there is you know you deal with some shit and um, she ends up he is a he's afraid I think probably deep down that like they're growing apart because he wants a family and she wants her career a little bit and they don't really know when that's going to happen but there's always a sort of this faith that it's going to happen I think amongst them in their relationship especially probably on her end but as he loses faith in that happening their relationship starts to devolve and uh, she starts a relationship with uh, like a political candidate that she's been working for and he catches them uh, he leaves having his, relations having sexual relations yes <laughs> um, and he just and straight up murders the both not really of them? I mean the no dude? just him it's, it's just yeah. a dude but it's in a fight you know okay but uh, you know he's a, like a white guy of power and he's Lee's like not not like I mean he's still like socially well so, like as a, as a professor he's still like in the elite right yeah but I mean like but so from the it doesn't matter or from the nuts and bolts you know? isn't it like the circumstances are Lee was away. And he just came home and, and found he comes him. home. And yeah, 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 yeah. He was just like didn't go to class one day. Right. You know, got sick and came home yeah. and um, found him. And then uh, it's a really high profile murder because this guy was a state senator. Oh, okay. Um, because well, because the, yeah. the place that I'm coming from is knowing you personally. I was like the the, the lowest level of this is wife and then Lee and then he comes back and yeah. it's like about oh she was being unfaithful and he goes into a crazy rage and, and yeah. kills the guy and in at the time you were in like a long distance yeah, situation so my wife with and I live fiance, far apart right yeah and so on and so forth and so like those are definitely yeah my assumption and you can tell me if it's a wrong read was just that anxiety of like I'm away from the person I love a lot of the time and there's this shit that your brain can't escape from of being like you know, who knows what happens when you're right. apart and stuff. Do you feel like that was where Absolutely, part yeah. of that backstory I mean, Lee is from? sort of, Lee, Lee's behavior in that is sort of the other side of the coin, right? Like, if I were to give up in those moments, especially being far from Amelia, if I was just, like, one day just believe very really that we were falling apart, that we were coming apart, and that she didn't want to be with me, um... Like, she's an academic. She's a university professor. I'm a game designer. You know, like, all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, I think you can be in this career long enough that you sort of start to... You look at people who have real jobs, and you do have some insecurity there. So just sort of... If you have any insecurity about yourself in general, that can feed into, like, oh, like, she's probably going to, like... You know, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. all it's all there. It's all it's all part of it, you know. And, like, power was, structure, I think, is really important. Was that... So... I guess what I'm asking well. is, was the place of your own, your your own kind of mental state that that the darker parts of that came from? Was that something absolutely. you were like conscious of when you were working no, on it? Absolutely, was it something yeah. you like drew from in an intentional way? Not or like I'd sit down and like draw like from it, but like I can go to a place where I think of the, the darkest place I could probably go as a person, and 
than how I'd be justified in it and how I would carry it around and then how I would so try would to rectify it. you would kill a fake senator? I don't know, man. Dude, if I was in that exact situation, that exact situation, like, with, ugh, I don't know, man. It would There would be a dark, dark part of me to come out, you know? Well, cause but I the think, thing that I think the thing that was important that yeah. I hope was communicated is that Lee blames himself top to bottom for it. He knows that that event, like him, his wife cheating on him, happened the moment he lost faith in their relationship it wasn't like yeah she should be she's personally responsible for her choices but he gave up on her way before because he was insecure and he was worried and he was scared and that i think happens in life all the time you know like because the thing that i that i wonder or the thing that i think might be relevant is just that like you know lee in the story has already been through that dark point and he's he's the person he is after it happened and similarly you know with porter it's like he's the person who has already lived through the anxiety actually being a reality it seems like Mm -hmm. that's important it's it's interesting to just my assumption being and i wonder how you feel about this is it allows you to put yourself in that character's shoes more because you're thinking well here's this thing that i have all this legitimate like headspace has been spent on on worrying about this thing and Mm -hmm. you can when you're writing the character be like how would i be reacting if this thing Mm -hmm. i was worried about had happened and if it was years later and i was the person who had lived through it like what would i be thinking or how would i be carrying it around Mm -hmm. and i don't know yeah so i mean yeah i think that's the only way to write i mean it's sort of like acting right like you write as right as lee like it's an act. Like you have to, you're you're producing the words out of your body the same way you would if you were an actor doing improv. Like I'm playing this character. Yeah. Like you're playing a character when you write, but you have to. So it's 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 make believe. Um, but you have to draw the energy from somewhere, and the energy comes from that from from the per, the personal fears and personal experiences and whatever like. Not the, and that's something it's really always really hard to communicate the, the difference to to people. It's like I'm drawing from the fear and the insecurity the same way that, and that's the stuff that's motivating Lee in this moment. But I'm not drawing from like the events, you know. That that is an that is an act, you know. So because you're drawing from the emotions, it's an act of empathy, you know. You're trying to write empathetically and therefore like represent the character as honestly as possible. Yeah. You know, and hopefully it comes across as honest. But then you're just worried that, that your act is going to fall apart and you're a fraud, you know. That's always a part of it. And I don't really feel that way until way later. I don't feel that way when I'm writing. I don't feel that way when we're coming up with the story. I feel that way in the in between time of not being able to change the game and it's about to be played by but people. But before seeing what yeah, the reaction like, is going to oh, be, fuck. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, so how, I guess, the most, like, at some point, once you start producing the thing, like, once, or, or kind of almost, I guess, once the first episode has been built, you've established a lot of of the tenets of what this thing is going to be, and you yeah. establish a tone, and you kind of have a model, right, like, mm-hmm. to go yeah, forward. Yeah, you kind of know where you're going. Because you, you, a model and a, and a, and a path. Yeah, because you guys didn't personally, like write and design every episode like it was a lot of work and a lot of different people mm-hmm. like other episodes were were kind of handled by yeah we, we were mostly one three and five and then there were yeah. completely separate leads teams on the second and fourth episodes so was it but the... there's like an overarching story doc that's built with a bunch of people at the studio too so like two and four we spent a lot of time in like 
upfront story meetings, but yeah. once we have the this is this is what's going to happen, we're not paying any attention. Yeah, you know, well, cause, there's so, a lot of stuff in two and four that is just completely owned by other people, which is yeah, great. Yeah. It's really nice actually to like see other like fresh content. Yeah. Well, because the thing I want to ask about is like, what was the process like? What was what were the steps? Like, were there stages you can recall that you went through when you were doing the groundwork stuff when you were developing and figuring out what episode one was and what the direction was was going to be like you know you talked about a couple of the story options that you that you had had started with brother and sister and then it turned into they're not actually related but they have a similar relationship was that kind of the first starting point and then you were like okay who are the other people they meet and where did they go and and so on and so forth or yeah, but those happen pretty close to each other. Yeah, but it, it it happened. I mean, it, again, it was a sort of combination of what is this, what does the story need, and what does the player need, and then also just what do we think is interesting. But like, and I, like the idea of it being an ensemble is not a choice. Like that's just a tenant of the of the IP. Yeah, Walking Dead is about that. You right. have yeah, to so have a group. We know we just have slots, right? We're like we're gonna have. But I mean, I think we said we like, have to round out this cast of people. Like the choice to have there be a husband, wife, and child, for there to be an overprotective father with an adult daughter, for Doug and Carly to show up. Those all sort of they were layered in what either because we had a story beat that needed the particular type of conflict, and then on the first episode, you can just sort of say, "Oh, why don't we just invent this guy?" And then you're stuck with him for the rest yeah. of the season. Oh, we need a reporter. A reporter would know all about Lee because a reporter knows, right? You know, she wouldn't know what battery is though. She's an idiot. Let's not talk about that stupid thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, sorry, <laughs> Doug actually only showed up in the story. He showed up the latest of all of them because we had every other person. And I think it just straight up oceans to love in that. You we, were like, I think we need one more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then it was, we just said maybe it's, maybe a guy like a guy like Doug is a guy we don't have. Like a guy you like to having around who's just like God, God. really smart guy, just be nice. Like, and then well, we're talking about knows all the codes. He knows all the remote right. codes. Um, well, that time we were talking about bringing idle thumbs back. So the um, and Doug is integral to the how idle thumbs operates. So got the I website. think it was he just sort of website. in yeah. our brains, like man, we just need somebody who we can count on. Don't wouldn't it be nice if there was a character in a story who you could just count on, who is really but, genuine and resourceful. And that always nobody is going to let live at the end of this thing. We've had a lot of GDC. <laughs> that was terrible. But also, even before any of that, the real, the real reason that Doug even showed up is because we said, oh God, one of two people needs to die in this episode. We don't have enough people to flesh out the cast of the season. We, we drop can't, another we can't man. Lose somebody, and then it was like, yeah. who'd be interesting in the dynamic? And then because of the way that the story ended up getting revved on, most of Doug's contributions to the first episode kind of fell out, which sucked. But, um, man, I was going to say other stuff and I lost the plot. But, yeah, Doug. Poor Doug. Um, <laughs> um, but you got to get your friend Doug into the game and his name was Doug and he looked like Doug and he was Doug. And he was Doug. Which oh, is good. Going back to just stuff that came and went, it, uh, I think we knew, or it was always sort of in pursuit across the entire game of how do we put the player in moments beat to beat that would feel like they came out of a parallel dimension version of the comic book where they didn't know it was going to happen. But um, the whole notion of Lee and Clementine as sort of the heart of the story yeah. was not deliberate at all. Like, I think mm. um, 
what we thought that everyone was going to be really into early on with this was Doug. like we thought everyone was basically going to be all about Doug, hundred <laughs> percent. No, no I think, it's going to be a Doug friendship. Simulator. I think the the players' feelings about themselves as Lee was what we were like. It was more like what hiding your past from people versus not sort of who forming allegiances inside of the group and sort of swinging the group around and you sort of Lee's dealing with his personal issues and the player dealing with their personal issues as Lee sort of like self-actualization as Lee getting over your shit and then ending up just sort of by virtue of the state of the world finding yourself in charge of like in charge of these people like they're you know people you have to protect and Clementine was more just a specific lens to see your actions through but then it ended up very quickly being apparent that it's that, like this is about a father-daughter relationship yeah, as Clementine, what identifies with yeah Clementine yeah. sees everything that you do therefore the game is entirely about like she's not just the lens that stuff is going in because stuff actually gets stuck on her as a person and therefore like this is entirely about that and yeah. that, that that came out of just the Iterative design. Yeah. So, so I assume that means that you guys didn't have their whole arc planned out early. We kind of did, but we changed what it means. Okay. Because, um, like, because for me, like, from an outsider's perspective, I feel like you know, obviously whatever these are spoilers about everything. We've already been doing spoilers, I guess, but not as bad as this. But um, for me, there there are kind of three big points in the most important arc in overall of The Walking Dead Season 1, but also of Lee and Clementine's relationship, which kind of, like you said, that became one-to-one, um, I think, in, in players' minds, was, yeah, meeting at the beginning and taking custody of the girl and everything, and then teaching her how to fend for herself in Episode 3, like the shooting lessons and cutting her hair and everything, and then the very ending with the choice of whether Lee lives or dies by her hand and her being on her own at the end and yeah. I could and, and those are also like uh, 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 chronologically beginning middle end like right. they're, they're very it's paced to be two halves and a, and a mid mm-hmm. or you know two endpoints and a midpoint but like was that were those seen as anchors from the beginning or was that stuff the beginning that you guys and the discovered end as you were going in the middle we were really episode three really lost its way because we weren't paying any attention to it. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for that at this point, though. Episode, oh my god! Episode three yeah. was in production from about the beginning of the project up through when it shipped. But like, but we just didn't pay attention to it. We kind of really dropped the ball. And when we moved on to three, a lot of the work that had gone done just didn't have an emotional core. It didn't know who Lee and Clementine were, so it felt like a really long adventure game. And episode three was pretty long, generally. Right, it was. It was very long. It forced us to say, then what is the emotional core of this? But we knew where we were ending, and we knew where we'd come from. So we said, oh, obviously this is the part where this relationship codifies and becomes something healthy and and optimistic. You want to hear something that's really interesting, sorry, about this, about that, that arc is, again, major spoilers, at the end... Where you meet the stranger, mm-hmm. unnamed weird guy who's been on the walkie-talkie Mitch and everything. Campman? No. Uh, That's really his name. I don't. I didn't know that. I don't I know. need to know it. Um, I think he's the stranger. <laughs> in, the, in the credits, he's also he's the stranger. stranger. That's fine. Anthony um, Lamb. You, you meet him, and he's like a weird, creepy Kevin Spacey, and it's cool. And you get into this confrontation, and 
you use the inputs to like you're like choking him against a wall and then the prompts go away and i know that a lot like you can just keep doing it and then lee kills him in that point and i from the statistics and everything i think a lot like most players like 75 percent of players or whatever did that but i was playing it and i saw the prompt go away and i was like all right and i took my hands off of the the keyboard and at that point he knocks lee to the ground and now he's choking lee and then he just gets headshot from off screen and Clementine has, you know, taken the gun and killed him to save you. And that seems like a mega, like, appropriate, you know, sort of, like, screenwriting, you know, like, like, culmination of, of, of these, these characters' arcs. And it's, like, that calls back to Lee showing her how to fend for herself and then her using those skills to kill him, to kill this guy to save his life and now she's killed someone and that's a first for her and all that and it's like very dramatic structure like I was super I was like that's perfect you know like and it's really interesting to me that because it's a video game and because specifically the structure of The Walking Dead made that a binary situation like most players saw this other version of it that didn't have all of that really tidy kind of like but wrap for, up but for, then but then I I did and I was like super impressed by it but it was only I think for those players I though I think it was actually two different it, stories right it, because well yeah. th- those people yeah. end up getting you teach Clementine how to shoot in episode 3 and then she puts a bullet in your brain at the end so if you don't see her shoot that guy that ribbon gets tied up two scenes later in the game whereas, except that you can also not do that yeah you can just leave him yeah I, I left Lee at the end but, we, but but Clementine had already killed another dude, which made it. But still, I mean, really, that, but she leaves with a gun, right? Right. It's, it's her there on the well, bar, on the but, log. But, with but a that gun. also makes it a really interesting dramatic arc because exactly. it's like she's used the gun to to save your life, so you know she knows how to use it, and it's not like the first time she's ever done it. And then it's an intentional but, decision I mean, for her not to kill Lee at the end. Like right. I don't know. So there's a well, lot of really interesting right. permutations. We, but the the I love that about. I mean, it sort of like goes back to like all the way to like first academic writings about film you talk about like soviet like propaganda films right like sergey eisenstein and you know montage effect right so that was i was obsessed with the entire time of the game so it was just looking for ways where it's like if she shoots the stranger and then she walks away from you what is that what meaning does that produce which is she's willing to kill somebody when she has to save her life when to save a life but she doesn't have it in her to do to, to kill, kill somebody out of loves. emotion. So yeah, just out of, out yeah. of like, yeah. And like, that's a really interesting story. Yeah. And that's a lot of like, so when people say like, your choices don't matter in The Walking Dead, it's like, you're fucking idiot. <laughs> because I, like, I also think that, that um, versus shooting the stranger and then shooting Lee, versus not shooting the stranger, never getting the chance to shoot the stranger and then shooting Lee versus right. not shooting the stranger. It's right, also right, a right. weird, like, I don't know, a weird, like, I think we were successful at it to mixed degrees, but it was, it was, tough getting people in the mindset of there literally is nothing that is you, you have to create situations that you don't think one is better or worse than the other and I think the angle that you're talking about which is the sort of like filmic observer angle is important and then the other one was how do we make sure that this the players always feel like they can rationalize this as their story as a video game player which is kind of shitty but also it's just the reality of the fact that you're playing as this guy, you're playing in a game where you can always reload a previous checkpoint, and we wanted to set it up so that, like, you teach Clementine how to shoot, 
she doesn't kill the stranger because you do it because you're protecting her because you're fighting for your right to party um, <laughs> or because uh, or for whatever and then if you, and then you get to this situation where Lee's been and dying and again she doesn't kill him but you see her have the gun at the very end hopefully still people will see that and say Clementine never had to she never had to go through the reality of what I taught her to be ready for but I know that she's ready because I taught her well, or, or, or alternatively, she doesn't shoot the guy because you protect her, but she shoots you, and then you're like, well, it's good that she knows how to use that gun because she did that, or, yeah. or, or. But yeah. the hope was always... Because the really interesting one is is if she has never fired a gun until that, that post credit sequence, right. mm-hmm. then there's a really interesting ambiguity there where you're like, now you don't know if she's going to be able to she do it when someone right, might be threatening. Just, right, and so that's like... That's the most extreme version of that, of just the yeah. hope, like, I hope that... I prepared this girl for what's ahead. Yeah. Or, or like, have no did I fuck her that. up by her having to shoot that guy? Or, like, it's good that she yeah. shot that guy. Our, our hope is that the game goes as far as it possibly can to make people feel like what they did was narratively and thematically valid, even if the actual specifics are funky. And it, <laughs> The hope, though, is that everyone can always tell a story that sounds kind of like a Walking Dead story, no matter what happens. There's never the, like, and then I killed 80 guys. Right, except that one part where you kill eighty guys. Except that, was, that was important. That you kill eighty guys, stabbing everybody. But those aren't guys. Those are hardly people at all. <laughs> Some ladies in there. Zombies. That was the goofy, most mechanically just silly thing in the entire game. But it was also fine. It's also we looked at that because we actually looked at all the comic books, and there are scenes across them where Rick just flips out and gets desperate because he's super fucked and pulls out a hatchet, and then it is just like. 15 close-ups of heads coming off, and we're like, man, we never put that in. When is the time you would do that? Now is the time. Oh, man, you might only have one hand or two hands. Sweet, we can have you have one or two weapons video games. Yeah. But, like... That, oh, it, and it made sense there, because it, it was held all the way till the end of the game, and it, it explained why he was so spent and, like, broken Well, he'd already been bitten, too, right? By the time that so he like, got to the encounter, which was just a dialogue encounter, so he right. kind of had to be in this half beaten state right. already and so, also i mean i, mean, I always my problem with those moments in in media always like man you would just fucking go around <laughs> like man that's like the risk assessment right but like we wrote ourselves into a place luckily where that risk assessment is dealt with the fact that he's already bitten so he's gonna know there's nothing to lose yeah. except the fact that he might get overwhelmed but yeah he knows he's not gonna be overwhelmed because he's he refuses to be yeah. so we're like okay it works yeah you know uh narratively at least in a linear narrative. We hope it does. <laughs> I think it works. I like it. I mean, you guys... You, <laughs> works for me. You've got to feel... I, I assume that at the end of the day, Walking Dead is a project that you guys are really satisfied with overall. Definitely, yeah. 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 I mean, there's a bazillion things I would change, but there's only one or two that I think I could go through the exact same process with the exact same time with the exact same people as the exact same person and make a different choice and change them a little bit like ah, I would have that one back left a little bit on the table ah, I would. but like those are very few and far between given like a fantasy realm of time and and money then yeah there's a million things you change but I agree I just remembered a really cheesy thing so I have to back up a second but the scene where you're chopping all the guys I think the only reason that exists is because the very first trailer that came out, our composer wrote a song for it that I thought was really good, and I was listening to it in my car when working on episode three, and said, okay, I should go in the game, but you're slicing a bunch of guys, so that's lame. 
I think I think I was stabbing them with a shard of glass. Yeah, pretty sure. I don't know if that was a you thing were, that wasn't true. It means everyone. you had both your you hands. You are doing that. Yeah. If you yeah. had, if you only had one hand, you, you had only two, had the cleaver. Yeah. If you had two hands, you had the cleaver. You had the cleaver, and then you also had you could pick up a giant like shard of glass in your ghost, hand. Patrick Swayze style um, shard of glass. Yeah. I never. I didn't cut the arm off, uh, but I enjoyed the fact that I could see that some of the animations, like climbing the ladder, were built for someone that only had one arm, <laughs> and it was fine. <laughs> Some of that stuff. Climb the ladder. Yeah, there's they, a, there, there was some stuff that was done with only one hand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. there is throughout. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which was fine. But I mean, I, we also just, we, as we, a developer, we double I just a couple enjoyed, times. You know, like actually, there's a part where he scrambles across the ladder, across a gap to get over to the bell tower on top of the hospital, and mm-hmm. that is definitely there's only one version of that animation. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah and he we are and either hiding an arm or not. I, I had no problem with that. That was yeah. Um, oh man, I want to jump back for no reason just because I. This conversation is making me remember a whole bunch of really <laughs> specific stuff, but uh, when we were talking about episode three's infinite production, and I think episode three, weirdly, because we just hit on it at certain points over the course of making the game, that was the episode that codified most of the tone of the entire series for me, just because it had every big turning point in the story, but Lee's backstory and the revelation of that was originally the... Like, that was the big dramatic turning point of episode three when we first pitched right. it. It was like, Lily a- accuses you of being the person that she thinks you are, this killer and all this stuff. And then we sort of... S- it never fit into the story, right? Like, we, it was just being a fucking fuck to get that thing in the story. It's just being way, melodramatic and stupid. It just never Ugh. felt right. But then yeah. Yeah. I was... I, I don't know, just me and Harrison Pink, the designer on that episode, sat... We're sitting at a picnic table outside and we spent like a day talking about this stuff and then at the very end of the conversation we said does this even matter does anyone care about Lee's backstory yes but what's actually important like the reason that it doesn't matter if it's in episode 3 or not is because Clementine is witnessing every single thing that you're doing and she's telling it all to this guy in the walkie talkie so who cares what Lily thinks this isn't actually the point in the story where it matters at all because all that's happening is Clementine is feeding all this stuff to this guy, so we're good. Okay. And then it turned out that what it was actually all about was... Yeah. I mean, that was the first time that I actually realized what was going on, and that was, fortunately, I think before the first episode had even come out, but it was mm-hmm. when we were working on the third one. And I remember going back to you, Sean, and just going... <gasps> and just like <laughs> saying all that at once, and you're like, yeah, oh yeah, duh, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I had and similar realizations... On Gone Home stuff, where I was like, "Yeah, I, I think the thing you you say about melodrama is interesting because there is a lot of high tension, high drama kind of stuff in like arguments in The Walking Dead and stuff, where the group is all screaming at each other and 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 whatnot. But that's different from I think melodramatic plot points, right? You know, and and I had a very similar line of thinking on Gone Home, where I was like, I this needs to be dramatic and you need to be invested in what's going to happen to these characters, but it needs to never be melodramatic. And so, you know, in, in earlier revisions of the story, there had been a lot more of like other people outside of Sam and Lonnie were like being obstacles to them being together. It was like, we don't approve. And her dad is saying they can't be together or, you know, it was, it was like very big outsized, like, 
conflicts between individuals saying you can't do this no I am going to do it and, and all that and it always like you're saying it always just felt wrong you know of like well because it feels so foregrounded it's like it's the, the characters it's the only are just like being extremely explicit about like the plot points and you just are exposing the works because the characters are yelling about I, them yeah I, I, um, I for, and so it became much more internal mm-hmm. for my writing where I was like that never feels right it has to be about the internal states of the characters being in conflict, not I'm saying you can't do this and you're saying you want to and we're shouting about it. It's a right. stupid it's and a simple test, but I think when stuff exists for only one purpose, it was generally a failure in The Walking Dead. Like when Lily was mad at you because she thought you were trying to assert control of the group, then that mechanically aligned to the player was ascending to be the leader of the group, stupid. But when it's actually about your relationship, maybe with this other woman, maybe it's about her insecurity about what's going on and about yeah, she, your complicity in the death of her dad. And yeah, like she's mad about how you're treating her dad, not she's mad about your power structure. Or, right, or and yeah, and that's actually the reason then we ended up putting that stuff back into episode three at the last minute. Uh, but yeah, whenever we had an obstacle that existed purely because the character was mad about a thing that the player wasn't able to do, it was stupid. And then when we ended up folding that stuff back on top of five other things that ended up tying back into all these other emotional subcurrents of the story, it always ended up feeling a lot better. Or it was erased if we couldn't do that. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you start very surface level, and then you just... You you have to start there. Yep. And then you step back from it. And if you step back from it enough, then it feels subtle and comes across well. And I guess if you step back from it too far, people don't even know what the hell is going right. on. But Someone you know. always sniffs it out. Right. Yeah, yeah. The th- thing that I find about that stuff, and it, I think, because there's, this is, I don't know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, um, in between uh, starting the new thing and uh, uh, leaving Telltale, we like, did some contract work and things like this, looking at other games and just floating around the industry uh, more than I ever had in my career. And I don't think you can tell you can't do a lot of the things we're talking about in certain environments and it's really like it's a good reminder (laughs) it was a good reminder i should say in that the emotional nuance of why a character decides to behave the way they do in a moment like when lily's you know shoots doug or carly and there's a big fallout and she throws the fact that she knows that you're a murderer in your face and then people sort of like are like but you just fucking killed this guy you know like all of the reasons for her doing that there and then all the reasons for she treats you before when you're at the hotel and the reasons she treats you how she treats you at the end of two are incredibly hard to pitch like they're not high concept it's all about this one woman's damage with her relationship with her father and the fact that she expresses herself through anger the way he did and yada 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 and it's all got to come out in the wash in a really nuanced way but it's not like if you have to go into a room and be like why does this girl exist? She's kind of a bitch. It's like, no, she's really important to the story because blah, 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 and you do this big pitch, but it's not, it doesn't pitch well. It's complex right. and weird yeah. and nuanced the way human beings are. So if you're in a, a creative environment where things get into the game through the power of the pitch all exclusively, you're kind of boned. Yeah. You know? And I think we've been lucky enough, whether it's small team, I'm a nervous den, nobody paying attention, or relatively to the rest of the industry a pretty small creative brain trust to telltale to be in situations where we don't have to like 
keep pitching up to the VP of whatever. Because right. this is why this guy's a badass and yeah. he's going to sell. Because you you're, 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 you're working with other people that are invested and are on the same wavelength and understand why the high level is worthwhile. Right. And then you all have to justify to each other the low level of, okay, what are we doing right. to fulfill that value? But yeah, you don't have to justify the entire idea. Right, right. It's, it's nice when people actually understand what you're talking about. That you're like the with. harder, it, <laughs> well, the harder it is to pitch. Generally, the more interesting it is. Um, In a lot of ways, yeah. If if or it, it's bad, right? Or it's bad. But then you shouldn't be making thing. it. If right. you're if you've already if you've already determined that the thing is worth making at the high level, and then you've got a cohesive thing that you've somehow been able to wrangle the entire time, like keep the tone in the right place and get it to where it needs to go. You have those things created, then the more complex this, and the more I should say, the more nuanced, not complex, the more nuanced aspects of character become in the story, and how those tie back into the interactivity of the thing, the better it usually gets. Like I said, like like Jake said, like if she's mad at you for one reason, then it's generally bad, right. you know, um, or something in the story is happening for one simple reason. It's yeah, generally just for like sort a of practical yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a bit, well, but that stuff is hard to pitch in in, yeah. in a big environment. Well, like, something that I've seen a lot of times is yeah, if something in the game is happening for the designer's benefit or for the writer's benefit, because I just really want to do that, or because it'll make my job easier, or whatever. Right. That or is, it'll move all the pieces into the right place so that this other big thing can happen later that needs to happen in huge quotes. Then that is you are failing. The worst rationale for for doing. A thing, and it it's really easy to get into into that mindset of I want to do this, yeah, the, because I think it would be really the fun build, to do it as it, opposed right, to it bad. would make the experience better. Right. Uh, That's a pretty rampant like. Oh, it's super easy. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's easy for for even when you're conscious of it to realize you're going there and yeah. like, oh, I'm putting this in because I think it would be fun to make it, not because I think it's going to make the player's experience better. Yeah, right, and it's yeah, that can happen for I'm a lot of different reasons. Some, yeah. So I want to ask you guys one weird final question. I have this idea, this one weird old trick uh, that was discovered <laughs> by a mom. Oh, yeah? Uh, so, I think I know this trick. So if, um, so let's say there's someone you meet, they, they've they never played a video game before, or basically... Oh, this isn't the mom trick I was No. Um, a mom taught me a different trick. Yeah, it was a trick with the horse bag. <laughs> uh, that, so someone's like, I, I don't, I've never really played video games. What video game should I play? And it can't be something that any of us have worked on. Like a you, Mario. What would you tell them? <laughs> if it was tomorrow. If it was somebody that's like roughly our age or a little younger, you know, like just a person who's like, I've heard video games are really cool now. What should I play? What do you think you'd say? That is really hard. I know. Um, it depends. There, it depends on what you're trying to get. Because I had this experience with my wife. But I was trying to sleep with her, so <laughs> my goals were my goals were different. Um, like if we play these three games, she will think games are artistic and intellectual and interesting. It will validate me and as I a person. We'll get my pee pee touch. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Amelia. Um, Hi Mrs. I, I don't know why I was. What's funny is I was gonna say penis, and then I was like, I can't say penis on a podcast. <laughs> so you'll say pee pee, which makes it way better. Oh, we'll cut that part out. Uh, nope. Um, it will be sorry, what in a concept album form to be the opening of the episode. <laughs> in fact, uh, so I can tell you what those games were. <laughs> I mean, what were they? Like, because you, uh, you had Amelia play some games, and so. we had sex. Yeah, 
To um, let's talk about the game part. Let's just say the menu music from Limbo <laughs> is yeah. Is Limbo s- is on the list. Limbo made it. Um, okay, so Limbo. We, we defeated Portal together. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was today, I would probably add Journey to that list. Mm, yeah. Um The first hour of the first Bioshock made it, and then she was a little overwhelmed by the like violence basically yeah um uh what other games because i because i because i I don't because i feel like the interesting thing here is i think there probably are a lot of people like somebody oh i got okay because somebody could just in general in this world not be attached to games and then they start seeing things in like the new york times or general magazine or the atlantic they're they're like oh (laughs) people seem to seem to you know be saying that that games are like worth paying attention to you know so like but but it also seems like it would be really hard like a starting point is really hard Uh right so what 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 came to mind for you just now you you had another oh i mean the full circle like i feel like i think you could play like full throttle or something and how you, again, there's not a, the literacy is really low. You know, like oh, I click on a thing and it goes there. Right. But I mean, that was the game that did it for me. I think there's other. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always hard for me because there's games that I think provide really good inroads for people, but there's always the accessibility stumbling point. Like yeah. for me, for a while, like the go-to answer for me is always Portal at this point. Portal yeah, One, except. Exactly. Except fucking Wazd and Mouse look like Portal is still a game that the further in you get, it has increased mechanical precision required. But it's my hope that that and like, game draws reflex kind of like it's it, like jump like that jumping game, through a portal, then shooting another portal at the ground so you can right. accelerate yourself the, is actually really fucking hard. The entire point of Portal One though is to get people is to train you to do that from, shit. Yeah. I'm spinning around in a cube to I'm a mechanical boss, and then I use that to escape. And it's, if it's a person who I think that curve will be intriguing to them instead of off-putting, I, I almost would always say Portal. Um, yeah. For some people, I would say Full Throttle or an adventure game, right. because I, I think that's cool, but then fucking 90s adventure games are stupid, especially in the back halves of a lot of them, where the yeah. puzzles just get nuts. Well, because it's similar for me with, like, yeah. Like, or it's like watching an old movie, sort like of the game version of that for some people. Like Braid or Limbo, it's like, those are, those draw you in in a lot of ways, but also, like, Braid is super fucking hard. Right. Like, I mean, that's those right. puzzles Limbo, are like, hard. Limbo, Limbo, I think, is easier than and, Braid, yeah. And, and well, but also Limbo helps you way less. Like, I remember I got stuck for a while at the beginning because I didn't know you could push a boat around. Right, right. And just shit like that. I got stuck know? there, too, yeah. I think fun. at a certain point you have to just say, fuck it, you're a person who's going to like this game, and therefore maybe you like games or not. Because yeah, I think yeah. there's not going to be a game that holds your hand and holds your interest and grows you into someone who has the mechanical acumen and can observe the sort of systemic collisions that make, like, relative to your input that make games really become truly transcendent through their interactivity. Like, you're just not going to get someone there in one game unless they're a person who's just going to get there. Right. I think but it feels like it's easier to, like, point to stuff. Like, I bet this conversation is a little different in a year as well. Like, I think... I think every year I, like, this conversation inst- is a little different. Right, you know, like, for instance, like, it seems like the witness will combine a lot of the things that are very accessible about your game with a lot of the challenges of something like braid, but you know less maybe dexterity puzzles. I don't know yeah. if running across the island is a part of the thing that's important, but yeah, I don't know. I right. feels like there's like more and more stuff. Yeah, and I, I don't have an answer either. Yeah, I don't it's think just, there is an it's, answer. It's something that just... yeah, I mean, because on some level you have to kind of assume a perfect subject and be like, 
someone who won't just give up immediately. Right. You know, but still, you don't want to say, play Arma 3. Right? Right. Like, well, I mean, Rebel so Assault 2 is the Citizen Kane of games. It's grand stuff. It is it's, grand stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Portal 1 comes the closest for me. It's short. It starts off with nothing and ends with you being a boss. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I think that, you It's know, responsive mechanically and narratively. Like, it does a lot of things that are really strong. And it does all that stuff in the game, which hopefully makes it compelling Actually, to someone who's trying to understand why to point, a game... If someone wants to shoot guys, oh, yeah. if someone doesn't mind, like, combat-heavy stuff, Bastion is a good potential yeah. inroad. 30 Flights of Loving. 30 Flights of Loving! <laughs> 30 Heck Flights yeah. is great. Because it's, it's like... You're going to learn Wazda and just go... You're going to learn to just be in a space. You can't fail, but you have to navigate true. and pay I don't attention. Know. If, like, you if you've from, never played anything... You might I see Goldblum. If I you think walk someone from 30 Flights of Loving to Portal, you could actually probably get someone in a pretty good brain space to do some video gaming. You could probably... Yeah, you could probably do like 30 Flights to Portal to Bioshock 1. And then know. they're like, why am I hitting a guy with a wrench and blood is coming out? And you say, shut up. <laughs> It's good. But it's okay, but I, I feel know. like if that is a three points on a graph, right? Yeah. If that's the first time blood comes out of a face, is the third time, then you're like, okay, it's... That's it's a, true. This is a different kind of thing. This isn't just what everything right. it's is. Right, like, it's like watching, you know, it's a difference between watching, like, two two non-violent movies. So, like, you watch Harold and Maude, you watch, uh... Um, Rushmore, and then you watch Rushmore. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Or Die Hard, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Grand stuff. <laughs> so I think we can all agree that Brendan Chung of Blendo has made the perfect mom game in 35 of <laughs> Why is the camera cutting all over the place? Or What's it, yeah. happening to me? Shut Amel- up, mom. But I mean, it's, I mean, to get... Look at those clocks. When Amelia, when Amelia played the build for 35 of Loving, it was close to the shipping build when Brendan sent that over. She was like, this is amazing. Like, why? <laughs> I remember she, like, we were laying in bed after that. She's like, why aren't you making games like that? <laughs> and I was like, why don't you shut your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday, baby. You said, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you texted. And then Brennan, you said, "My Kickstarter paid for this game." <laughs> yeah, it's like, really, yeah. Depending on how you look at it, I did make that game. <laughs> I mean, it happened. Special thanks, me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for sitting down for a long conversation about your whole career and making Walking Dead and games and controlling a tone <laughs> and so on and so yeah. forth. So much tone control. Wow. Uh, yeah, th- control. thank you, you guys have for... this an oscillating volume wave through all the way through your, oh, your MP3 so the tone does not seem controlled. Mm. How about, I can't believe I said PP. What if... What, <laughs> can that not be in? Can tone control actually support... Maybe we can build into the website an actual tone knob that when you... You know, like that you just have it... We'll do it. We'll do it. Look for that not happening on the website. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Follow Campus Santo on Twitter. What? (laughs)